Welcome to the Architectural Education Off the Record Podcast, where we discuss everything, something, and nothing about architecture. I'm your host, Vincent Hui. In this episode, I'm joined by three first years, and they are primed and ready to come into our first online studio coming into the fall 2020 term. Hopefully that won't be the case for the rest of the year, but I'm joined by Amanda, Jake, and Daniel. So Amanda, could you just first introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Amanda. Uh, I'm originally from BC and I very recently moved to Toronto for school in the hopes it will be online soon. And I'm a mature student. I spent a long time trying to figure out what I wanted to do and recently did a diploma in sustainable construction management technology. Fell in love with the field and now I'm at Ryerson. All right, and now Jake, please. Uh, So, hi, I'm Jake, uh, talking from Cambridge. I've been living and working here from uh, for the summer, uh, but I'm originally from Vaughan, so just north of Toronto. And uh, my little bit about my background is uh, I recently graduated from uh, Fanshawe for uh, architectural technology, so kind of related to uh, the program we're going into, and I absolutely loved it, but I'm ready to take the next step forward to... Uh, become an architect and uh, I definitely started my uh, my passion for architecture started in high school so uh, yeah ready to go for September. Okay and Daniel last but not least. Yes I'm Daniel, Daniel Fiala. I'm from uh, Ajax Ontario so the suburbs of Toronto, um, the GTA sorry. Um, my background is it's kind of crazy that I'm a mature student as well so there's three of us. Uh, <laughs> I know you're hoping for our first years, Vincent, but uh, so that's the news. I'm a mature student as well, Um, but I was studying something completely unrelated. I was studying biology at U of T for two years, and I dropped out because I didn't like it, and I want to pursue more like an artistic, like, and technical career, and biology was just more technical, and I want something more visual and creative, so I'm moving to architecture. Okay, so you know what, that's okay. I I mean, three mature students are fine. I think it's great to have that kind of outlook because I I know that a lot of students in first year, uh, straight out from high school, they don't necessarily have the wherewithal to know career paths, right? And we all, I mean, all three of you went and did some post-secondary education and realized that maybe that wasn't for you and instead said, I'm gonna do this architecture thing, right? Like. I didn't listen to podcasts before to get the kind of truth of like how much suffering and work it'll be. So tough, man, I gotcha. So let's go with this. Given that situation, okay, I I think that you are embarking on brand new, like you you have no ability, even for you, Jake, starting with you, Jake, you have arguably the most architectural pedigree, but you're still in first year. So we know that that kind of level of understanding uh, that, that educational background, like both you and Amanda have done architectural, you know, uh, education somewhere else, right? But you know that you're starting in first year. So I think one of the first things I'd have to say is, starting with you, Jake, going into first year, do you have any idea of how much work it's going to be compared to what you've had experience with in the past? Absolutely. I think that uh, I'm a little bit prepared because in college, there was just tons and tons of work and our design studios were very uh, intensive and lots of uh, all-nighters and stuff like that. So 
it was also a pretty heavy course load. Uh, I think I was in like six to eight courses per semester usually. And uh, I think it'll be like fairly similar workload wise in university. Ooh, okay. I'll get to that in a sec. Amanda, help me out here. What? So you you actually had the, the you know a bunch of workshops, and you're out in BC doing some really cool uh, architectural uh, you know uh, courses. So tell me, do you think that you're prepared? I am hoping that I have uh, an idea of what I'm getting into. <laughs> um, my program that I was in was an intensive, so I was also taking eight classes per semester. So it was a pretty heavy workload. And so I am really curious, actually, to see how the workload is going to compare once I get into school this fall, especially with studio and getting more into the design side, because most of my background is more on the technical side. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I would like to think that I hopefully have a, a rough idea of what I'm in for, but time will tell. Okay. And... Now, the baby in the room, Daniel, just because you don't have the architect experience. I mean, I'm not talking age, but Daniel, you are coming in from like sciences, right? So tell me, do you think that you are prepared for what we're about to dump on you, man? I, my understanding from like online research is that architecture is one of the most workload intensive programs out there that's offered. And I feel like I'm totally unprepared. Like, I, I have that mentality, like what I've learned online about architecture, but I feel like it's going to be a lot different once I start the actual program and get into the meat of the work. Because I actually took only four courses per semester um, while I was studying biology. Um, so unlike you two, I did not have an intensive experience at U of T. I mean, at my post-secondary. So... I'm in for a treat. That's a, that's my thoughts. Okay, so so let me put a couple of things right here. Um, don't worry, all of you guys uh, have varying degrees of awareness. And just for the record, Daniel, when you're doing online research, that's called cyber stalking. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know what kind of research you found that I don't think any architecture program overtly says, yeah, man, it's intense, it's next level. And, you know, as Jake said, you might have some nights without some sleep, right? Again, yeah. mental note, asterisk on that one. In no way do we condone all-nighters and all that bad stuff, right? I'm supposed to say that, you know, you shouldn't be doing that stuff, especially the first years, you know. Um, but let's just go through this. So one thing that a lot of students have misconceptions about, like as you were talking about, Daniel, let, let's actually start with you. You are aware of some of the things. So we, we talked about the all-nighters, right? Um, like Jake mentioned it earlier, and I gather that that's probably something you stumbled upon when you were doing your research, correct, Daniel? Yeah. Okay. Now... Um, I don't want to say that it's uh, a, diff a difficult uh, profession or difficult uh, type of education, but I would mention, though, that there obviously are projects that will drive you into the night, right? And I don't know about biology, um, because usually there's answers to any question, right? Like, you can't say, yeah. like, how many eggs or, you know, I mean, how many eyes does a frog have? You don't say, like, 17, right? Like, it's, it's going to be, the answer is going to be two, right? Or how do you deal with, like, you know, you know, certain, uh, you know, the, I don't know, um, the, the water table or basically various, this is how much I know about biology, right? You know, all this, all this other stuff in biology, there's a definitive answer to. Architecture, though, not so much sometimes. And I think that's the reason why it's going to keep you up at night, right? Um, because clearly all three of you guys did some, design work to get into the program, correct? So yeah. in your case, Daniel, you probably worked on work on projects on the side, right? To, to build up your portfolio. Yeah. And you know that 
there was no real way to say that the the actual outcome that you actually had was was actually correct, right? Like it was just like it's subjective, right? And I think that once you start jumping into a profession or a field of study where there is no definitive right answer, you're going to be yeah. spinning a lot of late nights, right? Is the because like when we're doing experiments or something, like there's either you try to prove a theory, so that's a yes or a no. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing like a kind of like a model or a drawing, I think I'll be like tossing and turning like what I want to do and what I want to like show to the, I guess the critiquers. And it's going to be like, I'm going to be racking my brains over, I think, because I spent a lot of time on the portfolio because that was like my own little projects that I was doing on the side. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm in for, I guess. So, so here's uh, Uncle Vince's cra- crazy Uncle Vince's tip number 17. I'll get to a bunch of tips, but uh, one of one tip I would say is that for all of you guys, especially when I have the three of you, um, the, it, you guys, as you said, yes and no. So yes, you'll be frustrated uh, because you're never going to get any clear answers on exactly what to do. And no, the profs will never ever approve your design. You're going to be very tempted, not just you guys, but I suspect one of the first year problems that I deal with a lot um, when I was teaching first year was that students would say, hey Vince, um, is this design good? Because I need you to approve it and then I'm going to go into my finals or just go into my goods, right? And you'll be like, well, let me look at the design and I'll tear it apart and tell you every single thing that you could actually do better. And then I'll leave it to you to figure out how to proceed, right? And that would obviously spur a student to go, well, it's going to be a late night because I got a lot of work to do, right? So going to you, Amanda, you actually had some exposure and I've seen your portfolio of work, right? And, you know, as you design, right, as you understand how we're going to be operating, you will be given design challenges, right, projects throughout the term. Um, Are you aware of the kind of skill set that you're going to have to have under your belts as you proceed? Uh, I would say I have an inkling maybe but that's part of the reason why I'm here is because I want to learn a lot more about the language and the tools to uh, to actually do design and to do to do it well okay because I, I don't want to defer to Jake on this because I know Jake's got some skill if you did the Fanshawe stuff so I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna jump right into him but there's a lot of technical skill that's required right especially in first year you're gonna be dealing with first year first term studio that's gonna be driven by communication right so you're gonna have to know how to do everything from drawing to drawing conventions that's going to be hilarious fun daniel when you're going to learn the difference between a front view and an elevation or like a perspective and an axonometric that's going to be hilarious fun but you're, you're not only going to have to learn the basics of drawing but also the basics of physical model making the basics of oh man that computer stuff right we're doing everything online so guess what you're gonna to to up your computer skills daniel you're shaking your heads i don't think you have like a, a physical malady but um i'll get back to you in a sec but amanda so outside of those technical skills, right? They're going to have to know all that stuff. You're, you're obviously aware of that level, but then how about the kind of ability to produce, right? You're going to have to do this stuff online. So you have to make computer models and send PDFs back and forth to your prof. But then have you not thought about like drawing, drafting? Those, you know, if you go to the studios and conventional architectural schools, we have at least a, a decent amount of space for each student to do drawings. And then obviously to make physical models. Um, have you thought about how you're gonna have to deal with that in first year? Uh, that's definitely been one that I've been tackling with. And when I was moving, that was uh, a lot of my consideration was trying to figure out 
what my workspace is going to be like. So I've got you know a little bit of a drafting table here to work on. I've got a little computer desk for extra space, and I even brought a folding table because I'm assuming at times I'm going to need to spread out a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been hopefully doing what I need to to get myself set up somewhat, but uh, it's going to be it's going to be cramped. I'm definitely going to yep. be missing having the physical space on campus to work in this semester. So I'll, I'll put a couple of things right now. Um, as I mentioned before, I, I know this isn't a video podcast, but I was showing everyone beforehand all the cool swag that you guys in first year will get. So not only do you get a coronavirus uh, face mask with the uh, gang colors on it, and also a fun tote to carry all the stuff in. Among the other things you're going to get is a really cool little kit uh, that has bandages and alcohol uh, swabs, right? And those are basically provided to you so that when you guys cut yourselves making your models, because we know that's what's going to happen, right? No other program do we ever say, here, go actively buy sharp metal objects that could either snap and cut into your finger or snap and pop into your eye. No other program would say, yeah, you know what? Comes with the territory, right? Like occupational hazard. So you guys will actually get in your frost kits bandages and alcohol swabs, uh, to make sure that you guys make your models, because you know that blood, I mean, I don't need Daniel to to break out the bio on me to prove that, hey, blood coagulates, but it serves as a really terrible adhesive, right? Um, so that's one uh, issue that, that I wanted to make sure was clear. But, you know, going back to you, Jake, you've got that degree, you've got some architectural technology under your belt. Let's talk about the mean potatoes, right? We know that there's a difference between buildings and architecture, right? And I would, I was wondering, you know, for a guy that's done the technology uh, stream, right, and you got that under your belt, what do you think is the biggest challenge for you going into architectural education? So I think uh, for me, it'll be kind of expressing the design of the building more. Um, like we, we did design a, a couple of buildings throughout the program, uh, but we were only limited to like short design periods and and then there's more technical based of course Mm -hmm. so I think kind of like uh, expanding on that side of things and really finding the rhythm of designing the building will be a challenge for me. So that's a really good point so one thing I want to make clear to everyone listening uh, specifically why I got you guys is that there is a clear-cut difference between architecture and building right and Though we have a lot of great uh, people and uh, in the profession that are critical to making buildings actually come to fruition, right? What you will be studying is obviously you'll know how to design, detail, and deliver a building. You'll know everything about building science, you'll know everything about um, project management to really make sure that you can bring your ideas to reality. But what you really need to cut your teeth on is design, right? Because I don't pay, like people don't pay architects to figure out, um, you know, do we have the right number of beams, right? That's what an engineer can do, right? Obviously an architect has to be aware of that, but for you guys, if you're really embarking on architecture, you really have to figure out, well, I was talking to a couple of kids in high school just yesterday, any other profession, right? You talk to, I would say that architecture is all about the happiness, right? If you look at any other profession, you talk to lawyers, people only go to lawyers because they're getting sued, right? People only go to doctors when something's wrong with them. People only go to accountants when they're getting audited, right? But people go to architects when they want to actually do something good, right? So architecture fundamentally brings joy and it actually is something that's a creative outlet, you know, on a more positive uh, perspective, right? So if you understand that baseline, right? There's a lot of responsibility in designing. So that's why we spend so much time in studio, like it's triple weighted, right? 
versus any other course. So I just wanted to put that out there um, so that you guys know that the mandate is so you guys can learn how to design throughout this entire education that you're about to start. Okay. So with that, I have a couple of questions for you guys. Maybe we'll flip it. Are there any questions that you guys have for me? I'm a prof in the program. I got none of my colleagues here, so uh, none of them can rein me in. If they ever, you know, say anything bad, that's okay, because it'll just be like it's crazy old Vince talking. So, uh, do you guys have any questions about anything in our program? Do you guys have any questions, um, I don't know, about courses, about uh, architecture life? Like, I mean, a lot of times it's me kind of breaking down myths, um, basically is, uh, making sure that you guys are aware, A, you don't have to um, do all-nighters, um, but it, you know, it, at the end of the day, it's really your call. So tell me, what questions do you guys have or might some of your colleagues have about first year? I'll start you off with Daniel. Come on, man. Sure. I, kind of a broad question. We can, I guess, bring it narrower, but like, what can I expect from first year? Like, what are maybe examples of first year projects that you've done since I'm kind of coming into this? like blindfolded. So the question was, what kind of uh, expectations, what kind of projects to be specific? Uh, typically, um, we start off studio with a sketching exercise. So we'll send you guys typically throughout the city, you're assigned to different profs and the profs basically say, go out and observe the urban form. And that might be a quick one uh, week exercise where it's sketch and draw uh, part of the city. And then it's used as a vehicle to then learn how to uh, not only draw proper um, buildings really observe the sites, but also how to scan and make things uh, PDFs because believe it or not, some people don't know how to do that, right? So it's an introductory exercise. It also allows everyone in the section, like the, the 15 of you guys that are in studio that are paired together. It allows you guys to bond together as a little bit of a family, right? So I should mention also in studio, uh, unlike other professions, and I would say unlike other uh, modes of education, you might have realized that even though there's about 100, 110 of you guys, 115 of you guys, in all of first year, uh, we actually break it down so that each of you guys is assigned um, in group to a prof. So in groups of 15 or thereabouts, uh, you guys, that's a little tight-knit family, right? And that prof basically teaches that 15 uh, group of students. So that's really different from what you normally expect to see in university, right? In university, right, Daniel, like when you're at U of T, you probably had like, what was your biggest class? A thousand people in a bio or a- Yeah, know? definitely a thousand. Right? Um, but then here, what if I said the biggest class you'll ever have is 110, right? 120 kids at most. And um, in studio, the course that's worth the most that you'll spend nine hours a week with, right? That's only one to 15 ratio, right? You can't even beat that in like some private schools, man. That's how much this kind of education works with, right? So just come back with the projects. You guys are there, 15 people. First project is kind of usually sketching. Second project is usually uh, an exercise where you learn the basics of drafting, right? Um, so we know that there's a difference between sketches and elevations and plans and sections, right? Um, so that's usually an exercise where kids learn how to use um, like these fun little funky Toblerone rulers, right? Uh, these are scales, um, which allow you to understand that drawings have to be set to a specific scale, that there's specific things like line weights, drawing conventions. So you know that you know, a door swing, you know what door swing typically looks like. We know that it represents a door swing as opposed to like, it's, I should see the doorknob or something. No, it's a door swing, right? So there's types of languages or, or icons that we use in architecture. And that second exercise lets you in on that. 
The third exercise or third project tends to be um, let's design a small space or a small type of, uh, I don't know, form. And that's where you start busting out your model making skills as well as using your drawing or drafting skills in tandem, right? So you might have to make a sculptural model of something or a space, and then you have to like imagine cutting sections through it, right? So then you have to use your, you know, two skills that you've developed, architectural drawing and drafting conventions with physical model making to really con communicate your ideas. And then the uh, next project is typically where we throw the computer at you, where, where we say, basically from day one, we've outlined and given you lots of tutorials. Uh, I'm not sure if your studio instructor, June, is going to give you the tutorials I made for uh, the software, but typically first years hear my voice drone on and on as I do a whole bunch of video tutorials on how to use software from 3D modeling all the way to like just basically desktop publishing. So basically that fourth project is where we say, hey, take all those skills that you've, uh, sorry, take the com computer skills, like the 3D modeling, the rendering, the kind of Photoshopping skills, and put it all together in a small project, right? And the last project is basically where we say, hey, here's a small little cabin exercise, like a small writer's studio or a small, like, you know, 110, 120 square foot um, room, basically a 30% larger than my office right now, um, and basically design it, put it in a specific site, and use everything from physical modeling, digital modeling, drafting, all the stuff that you learn. You might even sketch out parts of it, right? So that's all, that's how the culmination of that one term goes. So you can see how that whole entire studio builds upon success, successive projects. Um, and it also really is an intensive kind of, uh, you know, a course where you have to do a lot. Like uh, for a lot of kids that don't know anything about using a computer, for example, that's intense. And even a guy like, you know, um, oh, Jake, you've, you've got the software under your belt, right? Um, like, I mean, what were you using? Like Revit? Yeah, so it started first year, we actually did some hand drafting and mm -hmm. then uh, AutoCAD and then we switched over to Revit for the last like year. Yeah, so basically all that stuff that you described, not, not the software in particular, but like the hand drawing, the digital drafting and the digital modeling and even the Photoshopping, I would assume. Uh, what you did in two years, we basically asked for you to do in about uh, six weeks. Daniel, coming back to your stress, uh, that might be a little bit of a stress inducer, right? But yeah, that's not, um, that, but wait, there's more. Because on top of that, we're also throwing on this extra hard thing, which is subjective, which is, and design a good building or design a good space, right? And that's a little bit tricky. So uh, just, just to put things in perspective, that's kind of the nutshell of what you're gonna be doing, Daniel, in the first term for studio, okay? Does that, does that give us yeah. a sense of it? Yeah, I heard like, I think June told me that first year has the biggest learning curve for all the years because you're thrown all these new programs. Like I have no experience with like the drafting programs and I have minimal experience. Like I've only opened Photoshop. I haven't done like any projects in it. So it's going to be Daniel, a lot to learn. Okay. So Daniel, don't worry about that. Like I'm so old. We didn't have Photoshop. Uh, we didn't have computers back. Uh, when I started. Um, and to be clear, I didn't even take art when I was in high school to get into architecture programs. So don't worry, man. You don't, hey, you did it. You made a portfolio to get into this program, right? When I went to architecture school, I sang to get into my, my program. So don't, don't worry about that. But to, to your point about June, uh, yeah, it is intensive. But I would say that every term is intense because there's always something new to learn. Obviously, in first year, first term, 
it's not only the software, right, which is obviously a technical skill that's really hard to build up, but I would say that a lot of the challenge comes about from just acclimatizing to first year of university, right? Um, and hopefully you guys don't really have to deal with that, right? But you understand coming out of high school where basically mom and dad lied to you and your art teacher lied to you and said that you did great stuff and I'm going to put it on the refrigerator, right? The reality is that um, now that you're in university, we, we have to make sure that you kind of up the game, right? And uh, every term uh, should be challenging. So it's not just first year, first term. First year, second term, you're going to be dealing with sight and program, right? Uh, second year, it's intention expression and technical and regulatory. So all those fun things, just every term builds on each other, right? And it's just going to be more and more intense, okay? So that said, I just want to jump, jump back and forth. Amanda, do you have any questions uh, while you got me on the line? Uh, one of the things it seems I've kind of noticed chatting with the other first years coming in is uh, there seems to be a lot of communal kind of imposter syndrome. <laughs> a lot of us see the work that other people have done and we feel like, how did we even make it here? And we're really worried about whether we're going to be able to um, sort of meet that bar. And so I think that's part of where all these questions are coming from as far as like, what do we expect from studio? And I think a lot of us are a bit worried about how we're going to collaborate now that we are online, because I think part of studio is actually getting to know each other and, you know, bounce ideas off of each other, see what we're doing. And I'm kind of curious to see how that's going to play out this semester. Yeah. And you're, you're raising a good point. I'm not sure, Jake, if you want to chime in on this, but uh, when you were at, in, in the Fanshawe program and doing studio work, like, I mean, there were late nights and you hung out with some people, correct? Like, the, the, yeah. Right? yeah, absolutely. And, and like, you know, kind of like all suffering, misery loves company. And, um, you know, when you guys are all in the studio, I think that you always want to have ideas to bounce off other people. You want to look to your light, right, look to your left and say, oh, that's what I should be doing, or that's really cool stuff, right? Um, obviously, when you're all atomized and living out of your homes and not really able to see and engage with people, that's a problem. To be clear, uh, the studio faculty, um, and especially since you guys have June, and we said that June uses we talked about the N-word in June, right? She is super nice. So June is really looking forward to finding ways to engage uh, your uh, class so that they can all share ideas. Um, better yet, she also took all the prime faculty members that I wanted to teach in first year. Uh, so uh, basically she made a team, she assembled the Avengers for first year. So you guys don't have to worry. You guys got some really rock solid people. At second year's listening, don't worry. You got some good people too but unfortunately you got me. Uh, but first year you got June and you got a whole bunch of really cool props that will make sure that you're engaged so that there's always gonna be that level of engagement um, online to make sure that you get that feedback. And better yet in studio, you're also kind of mandated to see what other people are doing so that that bar is always raised. The other part, which is a little bit between the lines is of course the student societies. Uh, the, the guys that were critical in making sure you got all this cool branded swag, right? Like. For example, um, you're going to get the bandages uh, and the alcohol swabs. I think it actually says like AIAS or, ARC or ACU. I can't remember which one it is. But you've got three student organizations within the largest undergraduate program in architecture, right, in Canada. Um, you've got three organizations. And you're going to hear a podcast later on um, for ARCSOC, Architectural Course Union, and American Institute of Architecture Students. There are three organizations that are really uh, stepping up in this year uh, to make sure that there's a greater connection. So you're going to find that there's not only workshops and tutorials just to make sure that you guys keep your skills sharp, but there are also going to be various things like industry nights where we're going to have like virtual tours of 
architecture firms that are in the, in, 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 um, in the GTA, but also that uh, hire a lot of our students for co-op. On top of that, we've also got a lot of social activities planned, or at least they've got lots of social activities planned. So um, I've been talking to a bunch of them about some opportunities and uh, we're gonna have mixers where it's like profs, you know, you guys might be teamed up with me uh, versus another prof and another bunch of students. And we have to like do like, you know, Pictionary or something. Cause we know drawing with a mouse is garbage. Um, so definitely you're gonna be stepping up that. So it'll be fun. Uh, just to see how that works. So we've got some social engagement plans there as well. Um, but I think, I think in general, we're, we're trying to compensate as best as we can uh, for the lack of physical engagement. But I think it's also going to evolve. Like if we realize that certain things like, you know, movie night we're going to have, but maybe movie night's not going to really fly. So, you know, the, the student groups are really going to step up. And certainly your profs, uh, we've all been allocated. There's been shifts in, in um, how the faculty be arranged to make sure that students, especially in first year, really don't lose out on that sense of community. Uh, we know that it's, you, you guys have been very good about starting your own kind of sense of community on social media, um, but hopefully we'll be able to translate that into actual academic realm. So uh, let, let's hope, hope for the best on that one. All right, uh, Jake, you got a question for me, man. Yeah, so um, first off, it's really nice to hear that we're gonna be like sort of uh, trying our best to get a sense of community because that was something I was worried about. Yeah, a question that I had was like, with architecture evolving the way it is, and like the really famous Frank Gehry's and Zahadid and Daniel Levski and all these amazing architects, the stuff that they're doing, like, I was just wondering how professors in architecture uh, kind of is there anything like special that you guys are sort of doing these days to guide creativity uh, with all that's being done in the real world? Or like, I don't know. <laughs> but... uh, uh, Jake, man, it's like, I, it's like I did an open house and said exactly the right answer to that question. Um, okay, let me, t let me break it down to you, man. And I'm speaking not because I'm, I'm, I'm a company guy, I'm speaking because it's the truth, man. I've taught in different places in Canada. Um, I've served on accreditation boards for uh, different programs in architecture. And I can say one thing about our faculty and your, your question about industry relevance. In our faculty, you're either one of two things. You're either a leading edge researcher that's basically outlining how the future of architecture or uh, theory works, or you're, bring, or you're a practitioner and bringing in the real world into the um, classroom. If you're not one of those two things, I'm sorry, you're teaching at a different institution, right? So I've got like just a couple of doors down, I got Marco freaking Polo. Uh, he doesn't go by freaking, but uh, Marco Polo, former editor of Canadian Architect, also um, the guy that represented Canada at the Venice Biennale. Basically, it's like the Olympics every two years for Canada. I got uh, Colin Ripley, just uh, you know, on the other side of the building here. Um, he won the Prix de Rome, basically the top architecture prize, right? So we got some notable weight on that front. We also got uh, profs like um, Yuthong Leong, who basically holds practice as well as teaching, right? And, or Cheryl Atkinson, again, award-winning architects 
that are basically able to say, look, man, this is how it's done in the real world. And they're basically ensuring that our students are relevant for, and ready for the industry, right? At the other extreme, you got schlubs like me that maybe um, we do, I do research. So you're asking about like the whole Zaha Hadid stuff or like the Frank Gehry stuff. Sure, we can do easy, wacky looking buildings, right? Um, I deal a lot with the digital fabrication side. I deal with augmented reality, virtual reality, you know, digital fabrication, you name it. I'm probably on it in some way, right? So we got that mm -hmm. part. Obviously, it's a little bit trickier given that, well, we don't have access to the shop. I'm, you know, because as you can see, I'm not in the building and we don't have access to all those physical resources. But the idea is, obviously, we have people that are bringing the real world into the classroom and also looking at the real world 10, 20 years from now and defining it and making sure that you guys, the students, are aware of it, right? And better yet, I think the proof is in the pudding. You go out into the GTA or the, you know, greater Toronto area um, and, you know, I deal with co-op and you talk to the architects there and you know what? I dare you to find any other program in at least Canada um, where you have the associate chair of the department going and talking to every single employer, every single term that's hiring our students saying, look, we know that you're hiring our students and we know that they're doing a good job, but you know what? We always want to do better. So industry guys in the industry, tell me what's on the horizon. And if you can tell me something that I don't see on the horizon, guess what? I'll find a way to make sure that my colleagues, or if not myself, we're going to make sure that's integrated into the program. So we want to make sure that our program is top notch, that you guys don't go out <clears throat> into the world, right? You, we don't want you guys going out into the real world and saying, hey, um, I don't do this computer stuff. Uh, I want to hand draft to get a job, right? We know that's not going to happen, right? That's like saying, you know, uh, I don't know how to use a computer and I'm going to go into any other discipline, right? It makes no sense, right? So in, the, in your case, I think that uh, you're well mobilized with good faculty that are looking at the future as well as bringing the present. And better yet, we're looking at talking to the industry to make sure that we make sure that you guys are successful, not just in architecture, but building science and project management so that you guys are the most robust and prepared group of students for the architecture industry. Okay. Does that answer that question, man? Yeah, no, that, that excites me for sure. And uh, I'm really looking forward to working with like very skilled and knowledgeable people and uh, just uh, like the innovation and progression of architecture kind of going forward with that. Yeah, listen, man, I would really recommend to anybody that's got questions about that to, to not only, of course, listen to this podcast, but uh, more importantly, go to the website. Um, I'm going to put the notes, uh, the show notes will say uh, the, the kind of faculty link. So you can actually see all the profiles of the, the, you know, my buddies, my brothers and sisters that I got on faculty. Like, honestly, I like to think that I do some stuff, but man, oh man, uh, the guys that I work with or the ladies and gentlemen that I work with, uh, they make me look like I'm in the sh shallow end of the pool. So uh, you guys got some really good power behind you. Oh, Amanda, what you got to say? Uh, it's a question that kind of related to this, actually. Uh, early on when I was doing my portfolio, I was so wrapped up in that, I hadn't even taken the time to really look at the faculty. And I did after I'd submitted my portfolio and had my application fully in. And looking at the faculty bios, I just got really, really excited. And also listening to a lot of these podcasts where you've been interviewing these profs, um, there's a number of them that are into stuff that I'm really excited about. And so I'm kind of curious as to what your best advice would be um, to help us connect with profs that we maybe want to uh, participate in some future research or um, TA positions, things like that. Like what, what's the best way to sort of get connected with that? That's a good question. And just for the record, uh, that research, again, Daniel, stop your cyber stalking, man. That's getting contagious now. 
just coming back to the idea of uh, how to connect with profs, listen, you will be assigned one to 15 ratio to a studio prof. So if you don't have, you know, if you don't have someone there uh, that you feel that resonates with you, guess what? Next studio, every subsequent studio, you're always going to be able to connect with a different prof, right? That said, obviously, you know, there's about 30 profs. You're not going to go through 30 terms. God willing, you don't go through 30 terms of school. Um, uh, you guys are all mature students, but I don't think you guys want to spend more time than you have to in school. Um, obviously, as you mature within the program, you're going to quickly realize that this community is really small, right? Um, it's, it's not uncommon for kids to just reach out and say, hey, Vince, um, can, I'm interested in doing X, Y, Z, right? Like, so for example, I deal a lot with digital fabrication. So it's not uncommon to have first years all the way to master students that are from different programs come to me and say, hey, uh, Vince, I'm interested in some of the design build or some of the uh, fabrication research that you do. How do I get involved, right? And more often than not, uh, we have research positions or we have some sort of project that's going on where we can actually say, yeah, you know what? You want to be involved? Great. Come on board. You know, it's a despite the fact that it's the largest program in Canada, it's also a fairly tight-knit community, right? So if you, you know, I would say probably by the time you hit second year or thereabouts, if you've actually kind of, you know, made an impact and you've done a good job, you know, even if you didn't know, say, for example, um, you know, you don't know Colin Ripley, right? Uh, he, actually, no, you'll know Colin Ripley because he teaches in first year. But say, for example, you don't know uh, John Circa because he's a guy that teaches in fourth year, right? And you go, well, you know what? I like the stuff that that John Circa guy does, uh, it's, you know, he's into. I'll be like, okay, no problem. So you, you talk to one of the profs and we all know each other, right? Um, and it'll just be like, okay, uh, I might drop in on one of John's reviews and I might say, and by the way, John, uh, you know, I got a couple of kids that are really interested in your work. I don't know how they knew about you, but, you know, take a look at them. And there's probably some research or some sort of work that he or she is going to be doing. So I think that it's a small enough community that you can make that connection. Uh, but obviously, first year, first term, you know what, it, give it time. Okay, I think you, you're still going to get acclimatized. But I think very quickly uh, in the studio, as well as having desk, uh, guest reviews, right? Like at the end of the school year or at the end of the term for various projects, or even in the term, you will get other profs to come in and review, right? And you might just pull aside, well, typically in the old days before the pandemic, you could just, you know, between reviews, pull a prof aside and say, hey, you're that prof. I really am interested in your sustainability drive or whatever, right? And that's where you can hit it off. Uh, but suffice to say, I think that in the first year, we have a decent coverage of a lot of profs covering everything from, um, say, sustainable design to uh, emerging technologies to, say, uh, advanced theory and architecture. So you'll at least get a good segue into those kinds of areas, and then maybe you can reach out to other faculty members after that. Okay, cool. Okay, coming back to you, Daniel, man. Any other questions? Um, I remember when you were talking or answering Jake's question, you mentioned that you were the co-op coordinator. Is that right? That's, well, yeah, I, I guess I pretend to be, yeah. Uh, well, the, uh, I remember when I was studying biology, I did, like there was the co-op that was offered alongside in it. And I remember like not caring about it in first year, but then in second year, I realized like how my peers were getting like such good opportunities that I missed out on not taking co-op. Um, how, like, what are some tips for first years to like start getting on that pathway to co-op besides having a good GPA? Okay. Um, you know what, what are the tips to get into co-op? Okay. Good question. Uh, I should mention 
GPA is not the be all and end all. Okay. Kind of like how you got into this program. It, it wasn't solely based on your grade point average. It was based on that plus uh, your portfolio, right? And the other parts of the reality TV show that was called admissions, right? Like the drawing test, everything else that was involved, the English tests, all that fun stuff. So what I recommend uh, from first year perspective is to really not just do well. I think it's, I think it's a stupid term to say, just do really well in first year, right? Um, I would recommend that you do projects that really showcase a couple of things. Not only your technical skills, because obviously if I'm hiring you to work in an architecture firm, right? You know, you might be the best designer, but if you can't actually help me make my projects come together, I can't take you in, right? So obviously a good combination of technical skills there, plus you, you should take advantage of the design projects you've got in studio. Really take a moment to design something that you feel passionate about, right? Because you might have reviews with your studio instructor and it might, you might leave that review feeling, oh man, Vince just told me to start my project from scratch. That's probably what you might've heard, but that's not what I actually said, right? Um, but the idea is that you take the feedback and you actually use it as motivation to get better, right? Because at the end of the day, it's your project, it's gonna be in your portfolio, right? Sure, I give you a grade, right? But at the end of the day, your portfolio of work is gonna be a resounding uh, testament to what you can do for a firm. So my best advice would be to really build up your technical skills, right? And also have an amazing set of design projects that you feel passionate about. If you don't have any of those two things, it's gonna be really difficult to get you into co-op, i.e. get a job, right? Because if you are really good at designing something, but you have little to no technical skill, right? Like we've seen students of certain classes where they don't have the basic skills. Guess what? Can you imagine, well, I'll throw it to Jake, right? Jake, can you imagine if I told you that some kids that want to be in co-op don't know how to use Revit? Like, that, that's nuts, right? Yeah, that's that, like the commodity, that's the commodity skill that you need to have, right? So um, make sure you have that technical skill built up. Second thing is, of course, you have to design, right? You are not just learning how to be a building technologist, right? Or an architectural technologist. You're learning and applying yourself in co-op to be an architect, right? And as such, you really got to make sure that the stuff that you design, you can actually properly speak to, right? And that you feel passionate about it because no one ever wants to have a building that the architect just kind of dialed it in, like phoned it in, right? Or just said, nah, right? You want to make sure you got someone that actually gives a damn about their work. So in that case, when you have a portfolio of really strong technical stuff and you've got really strong design stuff that you can talk about, that's where you actually have a far better chance than just simply getting a good CGPA. Okay. Okay. Sense? Sounds good. All right. Okay. Jake, question. Uh, so, when I came to some of the events for the open house, uh, one thing that caught my attention was that uh, the students go on site visits. Uh, so I was just wondering, like, first of all, how common that is in first year, and then if there's any sort of plan during the pandemic for that. Okay, so a um, couple of things. Uh, yeah, traditionally we we do our best to make sure that every uh, year students get a chance to go on site. But obviously, you know that bringing like 100 kids onto a construction site, kind of illegal, kind of dangerous, right? So we yeah. kind of got to get permissions and stuff. So it's a little bit of a logistical thing. Obviously, now with the pandemic, it's only going to be a bit trickier, right? Um, so I don't necessarily see that happening for entire swaths of the uh, school, right? Um, this year might be an exception where we can't do that, obviously, because if the site guys, if the construction companies don't let us, then... I can't get 
break and enter onto a site <laughs> to have you guys do this stuff. So um, it's really like a partnership where we've got to be respectful of their kind of safety protocols as well. Um, but suffice to say, we have been able to successfully bring students to site. Uh, traditionally, uh, I know that, for example, in the past, we've brought students, we've got a lot of, again, industry partners. We've also got a lot of profs that work on architecture projects. So it's been fairly easy to bring kids out onto construction sites to see, you know, the realities of, of how things come together. Uh, but I can't guarantee that this term, I'm not going to lie to you, right? Um, yeah. I doubt that's going to be very possible. But moving forward, we are going to do our best to make sure that happens. As I mentioned before, we will have lots of or opportunities for virtual, uh, you know, firm crawls, right? Where you can actually virtually see certain things offsite, like construction offices and also architecture offices. So hopefully that'll open up a door for you to, you know, whet your appetite. But then once the real deal comes, when you guys are back in school, I hope, um, physically that is, I hope to have you guys go on to site. That, that's something that we really like to push. Yep, sounds good, yep. Okay, Amanda, come on, throw me a hard question. <laughs> oh, I don't know if it's going to be hard or not. I was kind of curious about um, what exactly Collaboration Studio is like and what it may look like going online. And sort of related to that, I was curious as to what level of um, collaboration there is with other departments. Uh, I'd heard a bit about zone learning, and I don't know how that necessarily ties in with all of this. So. Wow, it's like you scripted this one. Okay, first part about collaboration. Obviously, you're going to be collaborating with other people no matter what in the program, okay? Um, but there's specifically, for those of you guys that aren't aware, I'm not sure, uh, Jake or Daniel, if you notice, next term, not this term, but next term, you'll be taking this course called ASC 205, Collaborative Exercise. And basically, that's where we traditionally have taken, instead of having a first-year team, like all of you guys in first year designing X, right? We say... Why don't we do vertical teams where we say uh, two first years, two second years, two third years, two fourth years, right? We take a swath of the program. And so if you didn't already know some of the upper years, you as first years get to work in tandem and you guys can pick up a couple of things. Like A, you can like talk trash about the props and say which courses you don't want to have, which courses you want to cheat on. Don't, don't cheat, don't cheat. Uh, sorry, which course you might want to share notes on or something, right? But then you could also start saying, hey, uh, you know, in first year, first term, I really struggled with making models or using this program. Well, guess what? You're going to be collaborating on a design project in a very concentrated time period, basically four days um, over the first week of uh, winter, winter term, right? Um, you can actually pick up on some tips from them. So that's traditionally how we operate collaborative exercise. And you have to do at least two of them now. We've changed the system so that you have to do two collaborative exercises uh, over the course of your career with, it, with us, right? Um, but the idea is that you would basically get exposure to uh, different levels within our program, right? To make one exercise. Now, how it's gonna look this year, I suspect that it'll still be uh, feasible to do it online. I think we've kind of got an awareness of how to operate design studios online now. So to simply translate it to a collaborative environment, it's not all that big of a deal, right? Um, so I don't see it all that different, especially given that it's the outcomes usually of collaborative exercise are digital uh, outputs. So posters, designs, 3D models, that kind of stuff. So it's not like we're, being, we're gonna say, well, we can't do it because we don't have a physical model, right? Like, don't worry about that. It's all gonna be digital. I think that's how it's gonna operate. Uh, and then your other question about you know, zone learning, it's funny you should mention that because I'm also not only the associate chair of, uh, in the department, I also am the faculty 
the faculty uh, rep or the faculty chair on the design fabrication zone. So I'm the, uh, the co-director of the design fabrication zone. And that is essentially, as you were talking about it, um, Amanda, that's a venue. The zone ecosystem within Ryerson allows students from different departments to collaborate and work on different initiatives. So for example, in the design fabrication zone, we have people that want to say, in say, uh, I don't know, history, right? They might want to say, look, um, I want to exercise some creative skills. I want to do an installation or something. Guess what? They have uh, the ability to join up within the fabrication zone to work on a project, right? Similarly, we also have other zones like the transmedia zone, the digital media zone, right? Um, where digital media zone, you might want, or the DMZ, you might want to do, say, I got a really cool idea for an app, right? I want to bring it there. Great, you can work with some comp side guys and software engineers to make that happen. Or, hey, you know what? I'm really interested in, say, um, you know, some ways to deal with, say, uh, the racial injustice situation that's going on, right? So guess what? We've got social venture zone, right? Which has various opportunities for people to embark on that, right? So again, this cross and interdisciplinary venue within Ryerson, right? The zone ecosystem facilitates absolutely, it's an overt method of having collaboration, right? And better yet, if you take uh, enough of those zone courses or those zone initiatives, if you participate in, any, in, in enough of those zone courses, uh, sorry, zone projects, guess what? You also get that as a designation on your uh, degree as well. So again, we really wanna give credit, literally, uh, to those that collaborate, okay? Does that answer it? All right, come on, man. Listen, are there any crazy questions that I can answer? Because those are fair, these are all academic questions. I mean, the closest we got to something a little bit out of line was Daniel asking about, hey, uh, I hear about these all-nighters. Is it real? Come on. Give me something that would make, make it awkward. Come on. Ask me the most awkward question. That, like, let me debunk some myths. Let me help you out. Because as I mentioned in the email to you guys before, there's a lot of stuff that Mark and June have said to make sure that, hey, this is the, this is the rules. This is the official party line on X, Y, and Z. And then at the same time, you're probably listening to a lot of the upper years, you know, chirp in on stuff on your social media channels and saying, oh man, it's going to be rough. It's going to be this. Don't believe the hype, but you got me. I can tell you straight, straight from the horse's mouth. What can I answer? Anybody? Come on, Jake, you made a sound. So go tell me, give me a hard question. What would model making, I don't know if this is a hard question, but what would model making look like uh, uh, at home without the shops? And... A, lot, a lot of knives. A lot of blood, a lot of um, glue, and um, I think a lot of you guys will be relying on appropriating cardboard in the weirdest ways. Like, we'll find a lot of first-year models will be done with, like, uh, shoe boxes, Amazon boxes, and the ubiquitous cereal boxes. Um, so I, I see a lot of that happening. Um, guys, just be mindful. Mom and those of you guys living, I know you guys are all mature students, but mom and dad... Uh, if you guys are high school kids or you're living with your parents uh, during the pandemic and starting first year, mom and dad really hate it when you start cutting up the dining room table, making a really terrible model with one of these, okay, with one of these exacto knives. Um, also, glue finds a way to stick to anything and everything, okay? Use white glue. Just be, be dumb and simple. Don't use crazy glue because crazy glue is dangerous. Like, I've had to have kids... In first year, we've had to go and bring them to the hospital because they got crazy glue in their eye, right? And exacto knife blades snap in their eyes. Be careful. So at no point will we ever say, risk your life and limb, limbs uh, for making models. I see model making as 
uh, only a small portion because let's be honest here. Look, hey professor, here I made a model. Look at it, right? As a prof, am I gonna be like, oh, give it to me, let me hold it, right? No, man, you guys are diseased. I'm not gonna touch that model, right? It's 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 over Zoom. So what's gonna happen is you're gonna be like, okay, here's the model, and just, uh, hey Jake, can you turn the model? Up? No, 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 that's the model side that I didn't do. But just look at the beautiful model from this side, right? Um, so I think mm -hmm. we, we all understand that there's gonna be only certain amounts you can actually get from a physical model. Um, but I do think, and I think most architecture profs believe that there still is a value in kind of getting that tangibility, right? Um, but I do also know that, for example, in second year, uh, we realized that making a physical model might be challenging, but they've already done, they've already paid their dues in first year. So uh, in second year, we've got some fun VR or some fun uh, 3D stuff that we're going to be doing. So don't worry, we'll get there, okay? Come on, right. that wasn't even, that wasn't even a hard, awkward question. That was just like model. <laughs> Come on. Maybe I have a interesting one. Sure. Uh, so like, I know we started off talking about how like intense architecture is as a program. Like, do you think like from your experience as being a first year many years ago and others, do you have time to like have a social life beyond work? Like having a girlfriend or going to work? Because I, I like asked someone who wants to get really involved in like the like the even like I want to join the clubs and stuff. I feel like that will also take up my time besides the architecture work. And I'm a bit afraid of managing having a girlfriend and going to work. Okay, how so do you think that is, Daniel? Man, uh, that is probably the closest we got to those awkward questions. Um, so I'll give you the right answer. It's all about time management. The reality is that as mature students, the three of you guys probably got your lives in order, right? You're not gonna be falling prey to a lot of the first year straight out of high school mistakes where you're like, oh, I get to be independent. I don't have a schedule. I don't have to do homework. What? That's crazy. Uh, I think you guys will know what's good for you, right? So yeah. um, it's time management. Uh, to be fair, some of my students um, we've had in the past, and I'll look at it from an athletic lens, right? I've had. Olympic medalists in my program at Ryerson, they were on the rowing team and they got, uh, they, they medaled out in the Olympics, right? And they were able to practice, like, you know, to, to practice for the rowing team, you have to wake up God knows what hour to get like the time to practice rowing and all that stuff. So they, they actually had really good discipline and maintain that. We've also got kids, um, one of the kids that uh, is, is currently going into third year, she uh, is on the varsity, like the varsity level um, uh, soccer team, right? And uh, she actually uh, signed a, I think it was, they made a big deal when we, when we got it. Cause like she had to sign, like it was like a, like it was like drafts and kind of like, like professional sports thing where she signed and uh, they made a big hype with us. Like, Oh, we got her uh, on our team. So, uh, and she's still able to balance architecture as well as obviously uh, her, her, her varsity sports career. We've also though, I should mention, we've got lots of students that are able to balance life where it's like, I got to work, right? We've got students that have part-time jobs um, and they're able to still do very, very well in our program. Now, that's all, all that said, I'm just giving you all the good side of things, right? But we know that some people do fall prey to mismanagement of time or have different priorities, right? I don't want to say that it's impossible um, to have a social life. Uh, I, I, and you're talking to probably the worst person for that. Um, but I can tell you right now that I've seen lots of architectural science students in our program with 
friends outside of architecture. Obviously, you're going to make tons of friends within architecture, right? Uh, but they've got boyfriends and girlfriends outside of our program. Uh, quite frankly, I'll tell you my little anecdote. Um, when I was in school, like you were asking about me, uh, when I was in school, I never, I purposely never lived with architects. And the reason why was because it ensured that my roommates, uh, like they were accounting, they, they were on the football team for the university. Uh, like it was great because it would always be like, where's Vince? Uh, can I get his room? Uh, like that, that kind of thing. But it was also every time when I came back, it would be like just finding out what normies or what regular people uh, do with their lives. Like it's like, you know, you'll have like the econ guy, right? Just go, oh my God, I have an exam tomorrow. And then I have an exam three days from now. And then it's like, okay, so that, that's all you got, right? I got two deadlines tomorrow and I got a, and one of them is a studio project and I haven't slept in two days. Like that's some next level stuff. So it's fun to just be like, oh man, I got an assignment due and it's like worth 30%. And you're like, oh, that's so cute, right? Yeah, um, nice to compare. yeah so I, I think it's, it's good to kind of have a non-architecture break. Um, and for some people, it's like significant others. For others, it's just like, I got to have my high school friends, right? Um, but to be fair, you will definitely be making a lot more friends within architecture, not because we're cooler, um, but just because you're spending so much time with them uh, that, you know, inevitably, it, you know, we're going to be on a couple of group projects together. It'll be like, hey, Jake, um, you know, I didn't know that you like cars or like you like this type of movie, right? So it, it you know, you hit it off and you'll find that, hey, you know, Amanda, you and I like the same music or whatever. So it's cool, right? Uh, so to be fair, it's, it's all about time management. People are able to succeed and, and do well. Um, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm probably not the best person to talk about social life. Like, um, what was it? In, during my whole entire architecture career, uh, I was single. And it's not just because I'm ugly. Um, it's because I just, I just focused on different things, right? But obviously, uh, that was a different era. That was a different time. Very different from what you guys are. Definitely, you can balance it and make life work. Okay, so, so don't, let, don't let architecture scare you, okay? You're not going to be a hermit. You're not going to be 40-year-old virgin kind of thing. You're just, you're going to be okay, all right? Just let it, let it be, okay? You will find friends, I promise, okay? Amanda. I was going to say, speaking of scary, I know uh, a lot of students keep on hearing all these horror stories about crits, and I'm kind of curious how you um, convey the message to incoming students that there's a difference between a critique of a project and something personal, so that we don't have people running off the bathroom and crying. <laughs> okay, so that's another podcast. Um, so yes, uh, I, the three of you guys all know that in architecture, you will present your ideas, and whether it's informal or at a formal presentation, uh, understand, and you're, you, you hit it the nail on the head, right, Amanda? It's for me to make sure that students know I'm talking about the project and not the person. Daniel, you might have worked on a project and for the last two weeks, and you might have spent the last, I don't know, two days straight up, right, and not gone to sleep, and you felt really passionate about the design that you worked on. I take a look at it, and you'll be like, and, and the first thing I might say is, how the hell did this happen, right? Like, or like you might have been pulling an all-nighter and you might have forgotten, and I've actually seen this, where you might have forgotten to put doors on the building. And I'll say, how do you get into the building, right? Like, and then you'll be like, oh! and, and it's not like I said, oh my God, you should really reconsider your life choices, right? But it's just like, I don't know how you get in this building. And because you're so hyped up on the, you know, adrenaline or you know the biology better than I do, but you know, you got in that mode where you're like, 
oh my God, I got to defend myself. I might say something that's just like, hey, next time make sure you put doors on a building. I mean, is that crazy? I'm not being a malicious person by saying, you might want to put a door on that building, right? Or, hey, columns hold buildings up. I don't know. Maybe, maybe those things are important. I'm not saying that to be malicious. I'm saying it to make sure that you know. Unfortunately, a lot of students misinterpret that and see it as absolute negativity, right? And listen, the, the worst type of crit you'll ever have is the one where the prof just goes, uh-huh, okay, cool, see ya, right? If, if you have a prof that basically says, um, okay, cool, that's good, and leaves it be, right? Either A, they have a bladder problem and they gotta go, or B, they don't give a damn about your project, right? And I hope to God that neither of those is the case, uh, <laughs> but, but I, I doubt that um, you should feel that if there's criticism, that's, that means that they give a damn. Right? And they really want to invest that time to say, don't do this, fix that. But I also want to draw attention to the following. Right? And, and typically when I teach in first year, I usually use the um, reality TV show example. Right? Like I know that might sound dated, but like, you know, you know, in, um, I don't know, Jake, tell me, you, you know, American Idol, for example? You don't know. Uh, I've heard of it. <laughs> My God, I'm not that old. Holy crap. <laughs> I, know, I know American Idol. Okay. okay. When you ever watch those, uh, okay, what's a good contemporary reality TV show? Like, uh, I don't know, Project Runway, for example. No? RuPaul's Drag Race. Help me out here. Am I that old? RuPaul's Drag Race. That's okay. a popular one. Okay, so RuPaul's Drag Race. I've never watched it, but I hear that they do little design competitions, right? Like they uh, make outfits and stuff, right? I, I guess. So the thing is, in all those reality TV shows, you always have one person that's really nice. That'll be like, oh, you made it your own. And, and you're like, clearly that design is garbage, but that person, the judge, just wanted to be nice. They don't help anybody by saying, you know what, you did a good job. Because two things happen. A, you let them get away with murder and they don't learn anything. And B, guess what? If anything, they come out of that thing going, you know what, I did the wrong thing. I can get away with it again, right? So you just make sure that you continue that legacy of stupidity, right? At the same time, you also have a person that will be understood as, I don't know, the harsh critic. That harsh critic isn't there to make you feel bad. Sure, they might say, like, Stuff that, you know, in some cases I've seen buildings where students forgot to um, make their floor to ceiling more than five feet, right? So technically they put a door in the building, but when they extruded the walls, right, they extruded it so it's only like five feet. So if you walked into the building, you could open the door, but you'd be hunched over walking through because it's only five feet tall, right? So, you know, I might say, oh my gosh, this uh, building is great if you were making it for dwarves, right? And that might be seen as, oh man, that's so mean or whatever. But it's just kind of like, that's something that you made a mistake on. Let's draw attention to it and make sure you never make that mistake again, right? Like a so, uh, Simon Cowell. Yeah, but you see, the kids <laughs> today, they don't know who Simon Cowell is. So um, I'm trying to make it relevant and hip, man. I'm just old. So the idea here is that if a person is able to understand the difference between malicious commentary versus constructive criticism, then that is the trick to success, right? Again, A, if a prof doesn't say anything of note and only says good, 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 that means they're not doing their job and they just gave up on you. Second thing is if they're offering criticism, unless you like punch them, they are not going to be like, yo man, I'm going to go out of my way to crucify you and humiliate you at your final presentation. To be fair, I have done that, but they deserved it. Um, but in general, you tend not to use these as vehicles to humiliate people, right? It's to really offer some constructive feedback. Sometimes though, you can use those people that have made mistakes 
to help other people learn from those mistakes, right? So that's why when you present, say for example, Jake has a project and he forgot to put doors on, right? I might say, hey Jake, make sure you put doors in, right? And he might get the business on, on doors, right? But then when Amanda does it and she doesn't quite, she forgot to put the windows, maybe not so much the doors, but she forgot to put the windows, right? I see on the elevations you have windows, but on the plan, there's no windows, right? I will be like, you know what? I already said the stuff about doors. Uh, so I might let Amanda go because I got other things to talk about. That's not to say that Amanda is like getting any preferential, preferential treatment. It's just that I've already said my criticism, constructive criticism to Jake. Now it's, I got to move on and talk more about cool stuff that can help everybody from Amanda's project, right? We got to understand the difference between constructive criticism and malicious commentary. And most of us are able, I, I don't know, sorry, not most of us, all architecture profs are able to balance it, to know when to execute it, right? Some people don't even know how to do malicious uh, commentary, right? And that's good. But sometimes, let's just be honest here, sometimes kids need to be put in their place. So it has its, it has its role sometimes, okay? HR is not listening on this podcast, so we're all cool. Any other questions, guys? No? Well, the only one that's coming up for me, uh, just listening to that, is let's say you end up in a situation where you're either in a, a studio group and you're either running into issues with uh, members of your team or you're having trouble connecting with your prof. Um, what are the best tips to actually help deal with that? Like either to bridge those gaps or if you just run, worst case scenario, run into a brick wall and you just cannot see it eye to eye and things are not getting done. Um, where does a student go to resolve those issues if they, if they can't handle it within the group? So believe it or not, we actually spend a lot, I'm on the admin team, right? So believe it or not, uh, we spend a lot of time trying to assemble the vendors, like trying to make sure that each year has the appropriate cross-section of props to help them, right? If you and your colleagues, like classmates on a group project, don't see eye to eye, you definitely can escalate it to props because we know that it's tricky, right? Especially in the era of the pandemic where, you know, at least normally, if you guys were all physically there, you could all be put together and just be like, hey, listen, man, let's work this out. Now, because you just be like, uh, if you don't like someone, it's like, oh, crap, my internet connection's up. See, ya, I'm out, right? So like this phase out of the meeting, right? They's like, I'm out. I think that if, if you have some situations where you're not getting along or working well with your classmates, definitely escalate it to the prof. He or she will have tools at their disposal to make sure that, you know, whether it's you have a separate evaluation, they get, you know, brought into isolation, or maybe there's another way to do assessment. Okay, so, so there's options, right? However, if you are dealing with some issue being at odds with the prof, right? Again, maybe I come back to the fact that, hey, Amanda, I'm going to give you a low grade because you punched me, right? There's probably a way to bring it to another higher power. So for example, this often happens in studio where you might say, the prof that I got, like I got this Vince guy and he's a jerk, right? Well, guess what? Because I'm just the instructor, even though I'm a full-time prof, I'm the instructor there is a prof that's assigned called the studio coordinator or studio master. And he or she is ostensibly the person that should be able to say, okay, if you are having a problem with that instructor, it's on me to make sure I can resolve it. Right. 
So we've got, again, if it was a student-on-student -student crime, you guys can resolve it yourself. If not, the second level is to raise it to the instructor. If the instructor is not good enough, then you can raise it to the studio coordinator, right? And if the studio coordinator is not able to help that out, I don't know how that's not, how it's not possible, but if the studio coordinator can't do that, guess what? We got the undergraduate uh, program director, and then she, in this case, it would be June, she can oversee that. And if not that, then we got the actual chair of the program, he can oversee that. And if God knows if the chair of the department cannot do this, there's God. That's sorry. There's in all seriousness, there's the other university tools that are able to deal with it, depending on the offense. In general, there are basic processes by which we actually can mitigate any of those problems that might arise. Okay, but obviously, we're all grown-ups, right? Like this is the thing. We're not in high school anymore, so we. I know you guys are more mature, but we know that in some cases, high school students, it's. Um, and I'm not just looking at Amanda's cats in the background there, but sometimes when you have high school students coming straight out of high school where they are like, again, these are the top kids, the best of the best, the best art program, you know, they did amazing in art. They had the top GPA that the 99 averages or whatever, right? They're going to think that certain things have to go their way. Right. And when you have like a group of six of them together, guess what? You can't go six different ways. Right. So uh, something's got to give. And we know that that's a problem, but we also know that you guys are all adults. So it's not high school anymore you guys got to figure out a way to be responsible adults and talk to each other. And, and it's not just you guys, it's hell. I mean, it happens in third year too. So just be mindful of different ways to collaborate. Okay. No, no death threats, no cyberbullying, none of that. Okay. Cause that stuff is bad. Okay. Come on. Yeah. We'd like to avoid death threats and cyberbullying. <laughs> yes. Because I've actually had to go through a couple of HR classes on that. Uh, so um, I don't actually want to pull out the binder and say, yes, uh, Okay, have you uh, been given this death threat? Okay, so now it's on to step four. I'd rather stay away from that because uh, I didn't do so well on that test. Come on, other issues, guys, come on. Last questions, because you guys aren't gonna have me, so you're gonna have June and like legit profs teaching you in first year. I'm gonna be dealing with second year. You're probably gonna be listening to me, maybe, uh, if you guys want, uh, some more episodes of the show uh, throughout the course of term, because I think this is a good way to keep all of the people connected, but last call, First year questions, starting with you, Jake, go. Uh, it's not so much a question, but I think going back to like the workload of the program, uh, if you're a passion for it, it feels less like work and more just like you're having kind of fun. And uh, if you develop a passion for it, I think it'll be like a lot easier to progress with projects and it won't feel as much of like a strain to do things. You'll be enjoying it and like it'll end up helping you out. I would agree with that, but I also want to make sure that people are aware that you might really be passionate about your work, but you also have to know when to draw the line. You have a, a, an entire portfolio of courses, so it's not just studio, right? You have the built world, the built context, um, the natural context, basically physics, right? You possibly have a liberal elective, and you also have that ACS course. So you have a bunch of courses that you also have to be responsible for. Obviously, studio is three times the weight, but you also know that if you fail certain courses, you can't continue to the next term or the next year, right? So be mindful that passion is good. And yes, you're right. If you're really focused and you really love what you do, you're not really working. That's good, right? I love my job, but I never feel like, you know, love your job and you don't have to work a day in your life, right? I get that. <laughs> uh, same thing for you guys, but you also got to keep in mind, make sure you know where to draw the line, okay? Get, get everything done. But I find it weird that I asked yeah, first I... Year for a first year question. You gave me a first year tip. It's weird. That's a different show. All right. <laughs> 
Okay, uh, Daniel, you got any last minute questions, man? I'm not worried about failing any classes, but it would be nice to know what happened. You just said like you can't move forward if you fail one class. No, no, not one class, certain classes. Okay, okay. Well, I have a different question then. Um, this is more like a, a broader question. Like what, I know everyone's focused on becoming like an architect when they're architecture, but my personal philosophy when I'm going to this program is not, like architecture is a good end goal. It's a good career that I obviously am interested in. Otherwise I wouldn't be here. But like, what are some other career options like that you see people going into? Like I know, like I've heard like, in, like there's like interior design, there's the building science. What are some other career options that you think could work? Okay, so glad you raised that. So I'm going to talk about from the co-op side, like I've got kids doing everything from urban planning, master planning, interior design, um, construction oversight, construction management, real property development, right? Like, you know, doing all that stuff, working for, say, uh, Starbucks, not making coffee, but they're actually overseeing all of the plans and all the building inventory for every single Starbucks in North America, right? I've got other students who are uh, working in architecture firms, and they're responsible for solely the Lululemon account. Right, so they're basically uh, aware of all the products, so they know how to integrate the displays and all that stuff into the various, uh, you know, designed uh, conditions in, in the malls and stores. Right, at the same time, we've got a lot of people that take again that building science and project management knowledge. And you have everyone working from anything from designing new window products and working for the National Research Lab uh, and energy consulting, right? All the way through to, again, we got developers, right? We, guys, we have guys that are looking at uh, working in development, like the, you know, buying big swaths like Mattamy Homes kind of thing, right? Um, all the way through to, say, uh, uh, working for the banks. You notice that banks also buy a lot of property and also deal with a lot of mortgage and, and housing, right? So we have a lot of that going on. So again, the diversity in the classical architectural engineering and construction uh, disciplines definitely are embraced within our program. And that again speaks to the diversity of careers that we offer our students coming out as opposed to other places where it's like, no man, dude, you gotta be an architect. Wait, I want to go into like real estate. No, no, forget that. Go into architecture. But I don't like architecture. Shut up. Just do the, you know, right? So we want to make sure that you guys are able to come out of the program with a diversity of kind of knowledge bases and skills so you can excel in a diversity of career paths. But of course, architecture is one of the harder ones. So we make sure that we can cater to that one, right? The second side, though, is the more fun one, right? Like I've got also students that have graduated and done everything from set design, stage design. I got some of my old students, they work. That's what um, I'm interested in personally. Maybe yeah. going to set design. Well, dude, the, the, you also know that the, I, I don't want to be like slamming, but um, we also got like a theater program at Ryerson. I mean, they, they got some set and stage design guys too. But, uh, you know, obviously we got guys that are, I have students that have done like, uh, say the set design for Star Trek Discovery, like the TV show, right? Uh, uh, one of the profs that we have sometimes, he pops in and out, he's part-time prof. Uh, he actually was the set designer for um, the movie Shape of Water, right? Like the, the, the movie with the fish, fish, fish sex scenes and stuff. So uh, basically uh, we got all that kind of stuff going on. We also have our people from our program that work on video games and uh, you know, movies like, you know, video game design uh, for Ubisoft, Weta Studios down in um, New Zealand doing um, stage, sorry, uh, like movie productions. So people with architectural backgrounds are quite skilled at going into a diversity of professions. To say that it's solely going into architecture, 
uh, that's a bit of a myth. If you look at the stats, most architecture students, they actually graduate, they don't actually become licensed architects. Uh, I should mention that. Um, you're going to hear more about that as you enter into uh, first year. But, that's you know, cool. if you know, you always get those kind of cliche things where it's look to your left, look to your right. And uh, those one of those people, uh, they're not going to be there next year, right? Um, well, if you go into architecture, it's look to your left, look to your right. Uh, those people are your brothers and sisters for the next six, seven years. <laughs> and then secondly, uh, when they graduate with you, maybe like depending on what demographic you're coming from, maybe like 10 to 20% will become licensed architects, if not less. But that's not to say that they didn't go into really great fruitful careers, right? So just keep that all in mind as you, as you embark on kind of field of study, right? Always find something that you're interested in. And even if you don't become an architect, understand that the skill sets you're developing, it opens up a whole world of careers, okay? Yeah, saying that, or like what, about what you just said, something I want to add is like one thing that I really look forward to over the next four, six years is like accumulating all my skills and being able to choose where I want to go. Not necessarily just architecture, but if it's like interior design or set design or industrial design, I can go into like all these different fields with all my different knowledge and choose what I'm passionate about. So that's something I look forward to. That's right. Damn right. That, that's, that's correct. Uh, one last thing, though, is just with your bio background, I thought it'd be interesting to drop it that architecture is increasingly becoming one of those go to multi cross disciplinary fields where like we'll find architects that are dealing with, like I actually have a grad student right now. She's dealing with how to use mushrooms to make bricks or modular units for buildings, right? How to grow your own building, right? We've got different research on like how we can use algae, uh, like, you know, for solar controls, right? Basically how to have responsive envelope systems, all that stuff. So, you know, you were earlier asking- That's a lot more interesting than what I was thinking. I was thinking like designing hospitals or something and that seems boring, but what you're talking about is a lot more interesting. Think about the future. This is the thing, man. Like, you know, when, when Jake was asking or you guys were asking about like the future of things, man, this is where it's at. Like you want to have this confluence. This isn't just going, to, if you just want to work, go into, go into the industry, right? You're going to Ryerson Architectural Science to actually see the future. Right, you like fundamentally all the profs here believe that we are. Like, it sounds cliche. It's like I believe the children of the future. I honestly believe, just like my colleagues, that what we're doing here is we're paving the way for the future of architecture. Right? Like if I'm teaching you guys the stuff that I did, guess what? I'm doing the wrong thing. And again, I should be teaching a different university. I am teaching you guys the future. And if you can't see that, and we know that the future is all about cross and multidisciplinary activity, right? So just put that in perspective whether it's the zone learning, whether it's the collaboration, whether it's the kind of bio architecture, every single thing coming into the mix, man, that's, that's what you guys went to university for. And that's what Ryerson's about, man. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. Did I get you guys excited yet for the program? Oh yeah. I, Very. You don't say that to me. I don't teach you in first year. I don't give you guys grades. So it's okay. With that, I just want to say, once again, we've been talking at, at length on this, but I want to say thank you very much for your time. I know that I won't probably be teaching you this term, but I definitely would be coming in to do guest reviews. June at least gave me that promise. So hopefully I'll be able to pop into whether it's your review or any of the first years listening. I hope to actually see some of the stuff going on. And actually, I might even pop into some of the Frosh Week stuff this coming week, right? It's this coming week that's Frosh. So 
Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, it's weird because like I've, I'm used to, I'm so used to my first week of school being all frosh week all the time, having to do all this stuff. And now it's like, I'm teaching second year. I don't got to worry about that stuff. So, you know, this is, this is the closest thing I get to frosh week. So thank you very much for this. And again, you guys got any questions? By all means, ask your profs. If you're really bored in the studio or doing studio work, listen in on this, okay? So good luck to you guys in this coming year. And I hope to see you guys at the very least in second year or maybe in future studios, okay? All right. Awesome. Thank, thank you, you so much. And thanks for doing all these podcasts too. It's really been helpful helping get connected to the community of Ryerson, I've found. I, I'm really enjoying them. Really? I'm glad yeah. someone does. See, so, like, I know the listenership demographic data I get is, is, is pleasing. Like we get audience members from New Zealand and from like India and like Brazil. I'm never sure exactly if it's resonating with any of the actual kids in our program, but you know, you know, you get a few thousand people listening. I'm assuming that some of them are guys like you, Amanda. So thank you very much. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> okay.